You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. Oh, my God, it's a mask burning. I guess that's permitted by the First Amendment, Mickey. In this country, you can burn your mask. We're going for the compelling visual, but we're not going to actually burn the mask. You didn't actually connect the flame to the mask in the end. I should tell our audio audience you had a you had a lit cigarette lighter just only millimeter below a mask, and I thought the whole thing was going to go kablooey, but it was a bluff. Well, it might set fire to my whole house, which is filled with kindling, so uh, as is your house, apparently. So, um, uh, I decided it is? not to wait, do it. Wait, wait, wait! I don't get that. Illusion. All those books, all those books behind you. Oh, oh, oh right, right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, the anyway, I, I, who knows what toxic gases are released when you burn masks? So I, I didn't burn the mask. Air on the side of caution, Mickey. Can I, I ask you a question? Just a quick question. I, I have a second visual for later in the show. Well, if speaking of was, visuals, if that speaking wasn't of visuals, go ahead. Yeah. Speaking of visuals, what happened to your hair last week? Your hair was thick and lustrous. This year, it is well. I don't want to say non-existent, but it, it's at that end of the spectrum. I'm asking myself the same question. We'll have a we'll have an answer for you uh, next week. Okay. I think the answer is it's wet now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine uh, too. I think that's that's um. So so this was uh. This was like Liberation Day. It was like May 18th. It was like we, we were mm-hmm. liberated in the mass department. And also uh, they decided to everybody goes back to school in the fall. Uh, so on those two fronts, the administration did a, an about face. Uh, you Sounds know, the, like there's a but coming. But. No, no. It, it, I think we're going to see more about faces. This shows. That the, the administration, uh, if the polls are bad, it will reverse course. Uh, but were there, and, were the masks if, if, faring badly in polls? Uh, according, Eric Erickson wrote a, a, a tweet and I think it was corrected. Yes. The, the, the insistence that you keep wearing masks even as everybody after being vaxxed was faring badly and people wanted to go back to school. Have the kids go back to school. So, uh, and, and also if you want the economy to come back, you have to do that. So now, uh, it, 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 I think this this augurs more about faces to come, including about you know what issue, Bob? No, I don't know what issue. The border. I oh, think, the border. I think. Can, Biden can we will... suspend discussion of that for just one moment? Sure. Uh, it seems to me the impact of this directive that people who've been vaccinated needn't wear masks in most circumstances, except like on public transit and so on is going to be that basically nobody wears masks, right? I mean, one problem is you go into a store, you don't know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't. You you don't know if, if the person not wearing a mask next to you has been vaccinated. And I would guess that the kinds of people who have chosen not to be vaccinated, and increasingly those are the only people who haven't been vaccinated, are the kinds of people not inclined to wear masks. So basically, this that is the actual impact of this, right? No more masks. I- you would think that uh, walking around yesterday, everybody was still wearing masks, so it hmm. hadn't hmm. it hadn't uh, filtered down into my relatively woke, although not completely woke, uh, vax wise neighborhood. Uh, I didn't realize so, Beverly Hills was woke. Is it is it woke? Beverly Hills was traditionally famously liberal and democratic, but a lot of conservative. Uh, 
Persians, or there may be a different word for them. Uh, Iranians uh, is the other word. For Iranians, them. but they, 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 I've told there's a more precise word. About a third of them are Muslim, a lot of them are Jewish. Uh, the rest would be Jewish, and they're quite conservative. They hate uh, the mullahs. So hmm. uh, I don't know if they're. I don't know what their position is on on the on the uh, on COVID, but they're not woke. Okay, so, uh, oh wait, how, what else can I say to keep us from getting to the border? I mean, don't you think there's important, other important <laughs> stuff happening? You got, you like, got a long way to go. It's you a heard long... about this Israel thing, right? This Israel-Palestine thing, right? I, I yes, I I figured I figured you might have something to say about it. I I read about it, and I read a very good article in the New Yorker about it, and that's about all I know. What what the article say? The article, it traced the origins of the dispute to these uh, evictions, uh, I guess, near the Temple Mount, near the big mosque there. And uh, it, it sort of said this was the uh, repost to the uh, Abraham Accords that Jared Kushner negotiated, reminding people that, yes, the Palestinians are still there and that it was a power play that helped both Netanyahu retain power, which was precarious, and helped Hamas assert power over the Palestinians versus Abbas. Yeah, I, I guess for now, saying. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, the, 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 uh, there was a lot of stuff going on. I mean, there, there were the uh, kind of impending evictions. I mean, you know, there are these homes in East Jerusalem, and this was, uh, you know, I think last week, the week before, we mentioned this Human Rights Watch report uh, saying that Israel was guilty of apartheid. One of the things it did mention is this this policy. The, the Israeli position is that um, Jews who uh, lost their homes in 1948 should, in principle, be able to move back into them, reclaim them, and displace Palestinians, whereas Palestinians who lost their homes in 1948 shouldn't be allowed to move into them uh, and and displace Jews. That's among the implications of the, the, art, the uh, Israeli article, policy. The article mentioned that. So uh, yeah, so that that's part of it. And, and and there was this Supreme Court decision that was going to come down on that. This has been tied up in court forever. This uh, the case in this one area, Sheikh Jarrah. They postponed that because there was so much other kind of inflammatory stuff going on. Um, you know, it it was. Uh, you know, the police, for reasons that are unclear, had, uh, I think for the first time ever, uh, denied uh, Palestinians the right to congregate uh, by the Damascus Gate, which they'd traditionally done on Ramadan. That created some unrest. And then, I mean, the, you know, the decisive thing was, I mean, the thing that triggered the rockets from Hamas was the police, you know, once they had demonstrators to deal with, uh actually pursuing them into the Al-Aqsa Mosque, in the interior of the mosque itself, firing rubber bullets, uh, you know, the the concussion grenades and stuff, and that everybody, everyone who knows the territory says, yeah, that was pretty much guaranteed to to get get you rockets fired. Do you think um, it was intentionally done by Netanyahu because this war helps him? I don't know. I mean, the, the two theories are, intentional and incompetence and and, and it's hard to say because you know the government uh, is there's only a loose sense in which israel has a government now i i think it's not you know because uh there's this they're in this twilight zone where they're they keep calling for new elections and nobody is able to assemble a coalition you know netanyahu remains technically the prime minister but it's a very weird time 
Um, but now you've, and, and, you know, yeah, go ahead. And how is how is the Biden administration handling this in your eyes? You know, they're pretty much saying, well, do what you got to do. Uh, and, and of course, Israel's policy is massively disproportionate retaliation. Their view is that to sustain deterrence, you have to kill, I mean, traditionally, at least 10 times as many, you know, Palestinians as as Israelis die. They're definitely uh, at, at at least that ratio now. Um, you know, and remember, there's only, Gaza only has 2 million people. So when you like right now, they've they've killed what 122 people in Gaza. If you if you wanted to try to translate translate that to American experience, it would be kind of per capita, like 20 25 thousand Americans being killed, um, and the, the 30 kids would be whatever 5 thousand or the, something. The argument you uh, read on the web is that the Israelis do not target civilians, and the uh, Palestinians, the, at least the Hamas does. Well, Hamas doesn't target anything. Their rockets aren't that precise. I mean, yeah, they right, fire well. them. I mean, they'd be happy to kill soldiers with those rockets. They're just not precision-guided rockets. They the fire them into they, population centers because they, they want to maximize the chances they kill somebody. Right. They, they do fire they, them at civilian and they, centers. And they celebrate when uh, civilians are killed. Uh, That's the argument. That's what I you read on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. I, I mean, uh, I, I'm not all Palestinians, I'm sure, but, but you know, it's it's... A, it's what your friend Barry Weiss says. Well, she's right about that. What does she say about the other stuff? Uh, I didn't. I, I mean, didn't including including read extensively. The, you know, of course, you realize a lot of Palestinians are killed. Israel kills more more pa- Palestinian civilians than Palestine kills Israeli civilians. You realize that? I suspect that. Yes. Oh, definitely. I think only six Israelis were killed in the last account I saw, but maybe I'm wrong. Right. Like. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, so. Uh, Aren't there any? I mean, my reaction, of course, as somebody who survived at the New Republic by not knowing anything about the Middle East, is why do I care about some evictions in a Middle Eastern town? I mean, I mean, why does this the fulcrum on which American foreign policy should turn? Why don't we just disengage? Which would be what? I don't know. Uh, Israel, pretty- Israel can defend itself. So you think we shouldn't give them any uh, military aid? I mean, no, that, is, that is our tax dollars going to kill the Palestinians. I guess I don't mind that much about, uh, with the middle area, but why should we exert all sorts of efforts to bring about Palestinian peace, to peace, you know, in Israel? Well, we're not. And, we're not. Uh, okay. Exerting effort would involve putting pressure on the Israelis. What, that's and why that's is where a, we have leverage, but we're not. Why is it a huge crisis every time something like this happens that Americans have to care about well, because uh, we, um, from my point of view, I my tax dollars are literally going to kill Palestinians. I mean, if, if it, we didn't, if if we didn't spend our tax dollars there, would you not care about it? I mean, what? what, what no, would I would you, still care that, because our relationship to Israel complicates our relations with the Middle East broadly. Like, like we're having trouble getting a nuclear deal with Iran done, which we thought we were doing kind of on behalf of Israel almost. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's it's a. Uh, but they're still going to try to fuck up the nuclear deal, whether we support them or not. I mean, they think Iran is an existential threat. I don't know. It just well, seems well, well. Right? No, no. I didn't say that if we if we didn't send them the military aid, they wouldn't try to screw us on other fronts. I'm saying the entire relationship is yeah. problematic, and one thing that makes it problematic is the failure to resolve the problem with the Palestinians. Yeah. I, and we are making no effort to resolve that problem. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to figure out what 
the the Trumpism without Trump position, which is we shouldn't care so much about the Middle East, we shouldn't engage in neocon wars, we shouldn't try to intervene in the Middle East, means, I think it means you don't solve the Palestinian problem, and maybe you don't give them aid, but uh, I don't think you can have it, you can't have it both ways, you can't say we should pay less attention to the Middle East and damn it, we haven't solved the Palestinian problem, well... Well, if as a well, first of all, I don't understand your characterization of the Trump position. The Trump position is to do whatever Israel wants us to do. What right, did you just Trump, say? The, the Trumpist position was to recoil at U.S. intervention in Syria, trying to you know affect the outcome in Syria and with Assad and who succeeds Assad and having troops there, sort of in the middle of a tripartite civil war and. Why why are we involved in the Middle East? Let Russia take care of it. That is the Trumpist position. If if, if Russia wants to go in, fine. Uh, that's the Trumpist position. It's not necessarily Trump or Jared's position. Well, I mean, in answer to the question, you were so the this theoretical position that Trumpism would hold if there weren't Trump. Well, we don't we don't know what that is because that's never been the case in real politics. But well, we do the, know there are people right who write that. Well, there are people who write lots of things, but. Um, there, it's not clear that there's any constituency for what you just described. Because remember, I mean, the Trump coalition includes uh, lots of, um, you know, evangelical kind of, you know, Christian Zionists, you, you might say. You don't um, think there's any constituency for being less involved in the Middle East? Um, I don't think, I, I just don't think the Trumpist, the Trump coalition includes a particularly high number of people who fit that description. Now, you know, you might say the alt-right, if you look at like alt-right writers or something, fine. And you add them all up and that's about a thousand votes. That doesn't matter. I mean, in terms of Trump's actual constituency, you know. It doesn't he, have to be Trump's constituency. It just has to be a constituency in a, in a national election. Well, you know, this um, leads me to the question of, of Lynn Cheney, actually. But first, but l- l- let me say one other thing about, I, I think, significant developments uh that are kind of that don't necessarily bode well for Israel that we're seeing. Okay, so the first the first thing is um, a, a huge development here from Israel's point of view was the the civil strife. Okay, you had open fighting between Palestinians and Jews in Israel proper, and there is synergy between that the unrest among Palestinians in in, in Israel and what's going on in Gaza. In that sense, I think Hamas has a new Deter- what do you mean deter- synergy? I, th- I thought the I thought the civil the, the the civil war on the streets was mainly Jews attacking Arabs. It's not. No, I think it's it both works ways. both ways. I both think it ways. works both ways. I'm not so, even sure okay. that it was so, it was which was first. It, okay. Both are happening okay. now. In the long run, I mean, people talk about oh, civil war. Well, it's not going to be any kind of symmetrical civil war. I mean, you know, it's the the Arabs don't stand a chance in the long run within Israel. But um, as far as unrest. Um, I think, I mean, for example, right now it's looking as if Israel may do a ground invasion. Well, I, I think one thing they got to be thinking is that the longer the war goes on, uh, maybe the worse the civil strife gets or the longer it persists. And that, that, uh, I'm wondering if that's not going to be kind of a, a deterrent in the long run that's going to make Israel a little careful about, um, about sustaining wars with Hamas. If, if it has this, this, uh, you know, this this corresponding, you know, th- this effect on uh, internal Israeli uh, 
relations between uh, Palestinians and Jews and leads to to actual violence. Um, the uh, the the other thing is just that like you're seeing, and this is a segue to Lynn Cheney because everything's a segue to Lynn Cheney. It's coming, believe me. And everything other than immigration is something I want to segue to, so I'm going to keep at this. Um, Lynn Cheney's uh, a segue to immigration. Well, in that case, we'll segue to uh, <laughs> Stefanik instead. Um, oh, total segue to immigration. <laughs> the uh, um, super super highway to immigration. Uh, go ahead. Okay, wait. wait your wait, second wait. thing. You're making your second point, okay, which so brings in Cheney. Some interesting. Uh, I mean, you're seeing. I, I don't know how much Israel cares about kind of how these things are received internationally. I sometimes think Israel's attitude is they're going to hate us no matter what we do. But in it seems to me that in the American political sphere, um, you're you're seeing things look a, a, in the in the sphere of discourse. I mean, first of all, this does come right on the heels of the HRW apartheid report. You're seeing a lot more people talking about apartheid uh, Israel. It seems to me you're you're seeing a few more people in Congress, uh, you know, uh, really complaining about Israel's disproportionate uh, response. And you're seeing things like, you know, Max Boot said that Israel had indeed was responsible for provoking the rockets from Hamas, which is pretty striking. That could be Max Boot working with his new resistance constituency. Who knows? But well. Yeah, that's the the other stunning thing was Andrew Yang having to withdraw a an, uh, an instinctively pro-Israel uh, uh, right. press release he put out in New York. My God! And so in New York, if you come out in, in, uh, on Israel's side, you get enough shit in the Democratic primary or whatever well, the election was, they're having I mean, he, that you have to you have to retreat. That's stunning. You're right. I mean, his first remark was what you expect from somebody running for mayor in New York. Israel has a right to defend itself. I will say it was pretty unqualified. He could have added a couple of things that would have maybe somewhat appeased some progressives without uh, bothering anybody on the other side. But you're right. That's a good example. He got enough uh, blowback on that, like from AOC, for example, uh, that he walked it back. And uh, to Hmm. some extent, at least. And that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Um, so, so AOC, that, AOC and Max Boot are going to march arm in arm down Pennsylvania. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's a presidential ticket, right anyway, there. Go, go ahead, sorry. Okay, so as for Liz Cheney, uh, here's here's my question for you. I'm wondering, like, so she had her, so so now she has officially lost her position in the Republican leadership. She is segueing to you know a new stage as the leader of the anti-Trump. Republicans, I'm wondering how much support you think she gets from and how much her fortunes depend on kind of hawks. Uh, You know, there are a lot of people who were sorry to see Trump, the the seeming non-interventionist strand in Trumpism that you alluded to. uh, And a lot of these never Trump Republicans, that's one thing that bothered them. Uh, I would think Max Boot is in this camp, and I guess apparently we don't know. Well, we don't, but but I mean, here's my question: the you know, I mean, Republican hawks that entails 
Republican hawkism entails a very staunchly pro-Israel stance. For some people, it's driven by pro-Israel considerations, for others not. But in any event, for Republican hawks, uh, the the pro-Israel thing is a big part of it. My question is, and and so some of these people you've seen, you saw desert Trump, you know, Bill Kristol, Max Boot, Jennifer Rubin, you know they are motivated to some extent, at least by foreign policy. Sometimes you think their hope is to carry their foreign policy inclinations into the Democratic Party. I mean, a lot of them have really significantly moderated their views on domestic policy in ways that would endear them to Democrats. And what I'm wondering is, if now, with this Israel thing going on, and then looking at how progressives are reacting to that in not exactly a staunchly pro-Israel way, or, or at least, although, you know, honestly, a lot of progressives just stay quiet, but, but I'm wondering if that is affecting their calculation about where their future home can be. In other words, are they going to say, you know, Liz Cheney is our only hope? That's my well, question for you. Well, I, I, your question seems like a bunch of different questions. How much support does do the Hawks get in the Republican Party? Very little, like four or five percent. I think very they get and they get huge support in the media because it's a way to keep the focus on Trump and to bash Trump. Uh, but no, they don't have a home in the Republican Party. And do they have a home in the Democratic Party? Well, they don't have much choice under that theory. Plus, if you were Israel, you would say. What's the greatest danger? The greatest danger is that the Democratic Party is about to abandon Israel. So you want them in the Democratic Party because you want the the Democratic Party to be more hawkish. It also means that they're going to have a very unfriendly welcome in the Democratic Party, as Cheney already has had. If you read uh, uh, Talking Points Memo, Josh Marshall goes, uh, you know, I think he criticizes her or maybe there are some people who would defend saying, you know, stop attacking Lynn Cheney left, please. She's on the right side of this. And so, you know, so she's getting a lot of grief on the left. Okay, so, but, uh, but what, I, so I guess I don't understand your point. She has no constituency anywhere except the media. Well, well, first of all, I would say, I mean, as, as for Israel, in your view, really needing to hold on to the Democratic Party, I mean, Bibi Netanyahu um, has not behaved that way. I mean, he basically declared war on Obama and, and, and basically, uh, made sure he held on to the Republicans and, and he, you know, went to actually gave a speech in Congress, uh, premised on the idea of declaring war on Obama. And so I, I don't think, I mean, I, I don't, I, I think Israel until very recently felt it had a whole lot of Republican friends and I don't know why it would think otherwise now. I mean, first of all, what is, what is this poll you're talking about that says only 5% of Republicans I just, pulled that, I just pulled that figure out of my ass. Well, it's my, you asked me a question, and that's see, my estimate. I, I think there's been a real misreading of the fact that Trump got elected while talking a largely dovish talk. I think the moral of that story isn't that actually a lot of Republican voters are against uh, a militaristic interventionist foreign policy. It's that a lot of Republican voters, and this is something they have in common with Democratic voters, don't give a shit about foreign policy. The assumption had been that you needed to talk tough. You needed to talk John McCain talk to win the support of the rank and file of the Republicans. Truth is, most Americans, left and right, don't care about foreign policy as long as Americans aren't coming home in body bags. And that's why... Foreign policy is controlled by elite groups and small, highly motivated special interests. So I, 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 it's not clear to me that the Hawks um, 
it's it's not clear to me that they should conclude that their home is not in the Republican Party. Uh, it it seems to me that there has been a real shift. Keep in mind uh, the uh, white working class, especially in the South, are the people who have to fight the wars. They may not be coming home in body bags, but their kids are coming home and saying, you know, this war is a to- in Afghanistan is a total uh, lost cause. I don't know whether the people I'm marching with, I, I'm I'm deploying with, are going to shoot me, mm. uh, you know, at a moment's notice. And what? And as soon as we leave, the thing's going to go all to hell. And so they have a very negative view. And this and the same thing happened a little with Iraq, certainly. Uh, and 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 so they, you know, the the troops have talked to their parents, and they, and their minds have been changed. Uh, and uh, I but, wouldn't discount I wouldn't discount the genuineness of the anti-war sentiment. And also in the Democratic Party, I mean, Biden's decision to war- withdraw from Afghanistan is quite popular, I think, in both parties. Yeah. OK. But if you look at things that are most important to Hawks now, anti-Russia, anti-China, pro-Israel, where do you think those things get would get more support in public opinion polls, Republicans or Democrats? Uh, Anti-Russia, maybe Democrats now, their whole thing is. Trump sold out to Russia, so they've shifted in, in this completely absurd fashion into I agree. anti-Putinism. Anti-China, everybody hates China. You get support for that among both parties, Bob. I think your 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 faction is less than 5%. My question was, where do you get more support, Democrats well, I think or Republicans? It's, I think it's pretty even. I think, you know, 95 in one and 90 in the other. And uh, and and uh, the, the third thing was Israel. I think Israel is, is pretty tenuous at this point. They have the elite. I don't think they have much, all that much support, uh, but they would have more. No, they do have the, they have a lot of evangelical, a lot of evangelical support. They certainly have more in the Republican Party, yes. Yep. So anyway, I'm just wondering if, uh, how the, the max boots of the world are doing their calculations at the moment. I, I, you know, I think, I think they're in trouble. They may wander in the wilderness for a while. I mean, I know what that's like. Maybe I could give a seminar on how to, how to deal with the fact that you have no political home? Maybe you should form a coalition with the them. homeless. You're you're a friend of Jennifer Rubin's. I used, you used to do a, used podcast, to do a podcast with her. Haven't talked to her in years. By the way, she wrote. She's great at doing clickbait headlines. I never read the articles, but I'm I'm tempted she to write, click. I'm not even sure she writes the headlines. Do we think she does? Yeah, I think so. I think it's basically a blog. Um, the the last one was about the stampede to. The Liz Cheney side of the Republican Party. I didn't read it, but that, of the, course, she she would yeah. like to see a stampede. I think I mean, she's the only one who sees one. A, a, Andrew Sullivan wrote an, a, 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 his 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 Substack today was about how uh, there is a uh, you know a study which was right as far as this goes. They said there was a there's an obvious future for the Republican Party to win election after election, which is you know, going left on economic issues and, you know, drawing the line at wokeism and defund the police and all the cultural issues that are turning people off. And supposedly that's one of the the secret sauce of, uh, as Ryan Jurdusky says, of Boris Johnson's big win in Britain. But the Trump won't let them get there. That's true. Uh, but then the unstated assumption was that Lynn Cheney was somehow on the right side. No, Lynn Cheney does not want to go there either. She's the exact opposite of where the Republican Party should go if, uh, you know, if, if, if it wants to, to seize this advantage and become a, uh, you know, working class party. 
Uh, I Sorry, guess what, maybe, what's the array of issues Andrew recommends? It's 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 anti woke. So it's it's, 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 it's 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 I assume it's you know left on issues like uh, for example health insurance would be an obvious one. Mm-hmm. Uh, less, so economic less, populist, not, uh, not, not immigration caring about restrictions. tax cuts for the rich, not caring about tax cuts for the rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has some anodyne phrase, but some some form of reasonable immigration control. Uh, go left on trade. No more free market. Uh, you know, uh, trade is good for both sides, no matter what. Uh, and um, what else is there? Uh, th- those are the big ones, I think. Uh, maybe, you know, probably he he might include, uh, you know, anti-poverty policy and these tax credits that so annoy me. Uh, but you could you could design tax credits that would not reward non-workers. That would be perfectly reasonable. That. Geo, that Republicans might endorse as a as a way of encouraging parenthood and natalism, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, J.D. Vance is about to endorse at least that part. So, um, so yeah, th- that's what I think. That's what it would involve. Now, the, the tough on trade thing reminds me there was a there was a study done by the Wall Street Journal. Now, didn't you support Trump's China tariffs on grounds that they would bring jobs back to America? Eventually, they will. They will. Well, I got bad you know, news first, for you about first the short term. First, you have to move. First, you have to move the supply chains out of China. Because yes, which apparently uh, is happening. The uh, Wall Street Journal says the Trump administration imposed the levies and blah blah blah. So they did this. This big uh, journal did this big analysis of trade data. Uh, yeah. The so-called reshoring of manufacturing hasn't happened in any appreciable way. Economic data shows U.S. companies instead turn to other countries in Asia for supply. Vietnam has been an especially big beneficiary, which is what people said, knowledgeable right. people said would happen. The jobs, they're not going to bring the jobs back here. They're going to send the jobs to Vietnam. Well, but And then the people who still don't have the jobs in America will just pay slightly more for the products. Well, first, first uh uh, Biden has kept most of the Trump policies, probably for a reason. Second, uh, what the pandemic has caused a short desire to shorten supply chains uh, all across the board. So once they're out of China, I think some will be coming to the United States. Third, a lot of them are going to Mexico, and we have an intense interest in Mexico prospering in a way that we do not have for Vietnam prospering. So I would say if a supply chain goes from China to Mexico, that's half a win for the United States. So that's, uh, so that means NAFTA was good because it, it fostered prosperity well, in Mexico? I don't know, but I don't know about NAFTA being good, but fostering prosperity in Mexico is definitely good. Uh, for, for one thing, it, you know, it, it reduces the flow of you know what, uh, but it's just generally good. It means that we're going to have a more, uh, Okay, but you know, I thought I thought Trump, Trump was very anti NAFTA. I mean, that's the, the paradox I'm pointing to. I mean, uh, but anyway, right, I I'm, not, I'm not saying Trump was right about everything. I'm saying that the China tariffs. It's way too early to say they were a failure. And and, well, and your, your beef is with your, well. There you go. I mean, uh, what, what more uh, is there to say? One more point about Lynn Cheney. Yeah, it just occurred to me. It was a little slow to register. When we talked last week, you were saying about Stefanik, you were unhappy with her because she's her policies aren't Trumpist, but she does have Trump support because she says the election was fraudulent or however she puts it. Right. And I just realized she's, that's, she's that's, the worst. She's the worst of both worlds. 
I think a lot of people have said this since then, but it occurred to me right after we talked that this is kind of amazing, you know, that, that like the one thing you have to say, it's like, you know, I, I think, I think there's too much casual comparison of things to religion. But this is a little like a religion, right? I mean, it's like well, it's like it's like re- reciting the Nicene Creed. You have to say the election was stolen, and if you do that, it doesn't doesn't even matter what your policies are. That this woman has but, no, not a Trumpist bone in her, and yet Trump, you know, she she's now a Trumpist in good standing. This well, is Trump, not about policy. Trump was an idiot to endorse her, but uh, uh, and very badly advised, I think. But uh, but he, you know, he's an idiot himself. But um, keep in mind. As Byron York points out, there were several, you know, Republican committee chairmen in the House who voted for impeachment. They were not punished. They were not take. They were not stripped of their committee chairs. They were totally tolerated. It's their vote. What what Cheney? What drove people crazy was Cheney was constantly harping on Trump and Trump's uh, quote big lie, which which it most, was, is, is, which which is bullshit. Trump's what Trump is saying is. Mostly bullshit. I hold out the possibility there were some so, shenanigans we don't know so about. So you say, this. what? You're saying uh, but why? But anyway, what, the point wait, is... Wait, just, just be clear. You're saying it's not a lie or what? Did I misunderstand you? I, I'm saying, uh, as, far as, as far as I'm concerned, it's false, okay? Uh, but I'm, I'm very suspicious of voting, uh, you know, uh, voting methods. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's hard to pronounce... This is there was no fraud because I don't know that there was no fraud. I think you know Trump lost fair, Trump lost fair and square, and that, that's all, it's over. But uh, well, his lawyers never alleged fraud in court, not once, not yeah, once. But anyway, but he's obviously alleged fraud in, of course. in his tweets. So that I said it's bullshit. Okay, is that mm-hmm. enough for you? Okay. Anyway, the point the point is that Cheney was making that the big issue, and the Trump Republicans want to win control of Congress on a bunch of other issues. Uh, the most prominent being the issue that you don't want to discuss, uh, immigration. The uh, So Cheney was getting in the way and making it all about Trump. Uh, so the Republicans wanted to get her to shut the fuck up. Uh, and they obviously have failed to do this, but she might be, now that she's, you know, she might be marginalized and she might be beaten in Wyoming. So uh, it's possible that she will be uh, heading for Evan McMullen land. Uh, but well, maybe mean, not. The, 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 one more thing. The flaw in this theory is the idea that they can sideline Cheney, bring up their issues of uh, the border and crime and all the other things, and that Trump will sit on the sidelines and not intervene and make the election all about Trump anyway. Of course he's going to do that. The 2022 election. There are all these people saying, well, in 2023 we'll decide how to get rid of Trump. No, it, you're not going to win the House because Trump is going to make the House election in 2022, all about Trump also, or all your messaging is going to go the fuck out the window. Sorry. Not sure I understood that. I mean, first of all, you, you do think Republicans will almost certainly Trump, win the House. Right? Trump Trump fucked up Georgia and he can fuck up the House election. He, he, if he comes out and says, this is all about the election of 2020 and are you with me on the fraud claim? Who knows what will happen? If they talk about immigration and crime, the Republicans will win. But Trump's not going to let them do that. He's going to say, of course, I'm with you on immigration crime. But the big test is, are you with me on this on election fraud? And, and that could fuck everything up just like it fucked up in Georgia. So I I, I don't uh, I, I, I'm not certain that the Republicans are going to win, going to win back the House. Um, and plus, well, plus, if Biden behaves as I think he's going to behave by uh, 
by, you know, doing an about face on every issue that's doing badly in the polls, including immigration, uh, he will do much better and the Democrats will be much better positioned in 2022 than it looks like they are now. If you read um, uh, Olivia Nutzi's piece, which was a seemingly an anodyne piece about uh, the the Biden administration's use of language, but it, it said basically the the contrast between the two administrations is Trump fought out these policy disputes at the staff level, and we knew about them right when they were happening because they immediately leaked to reporters, and we knew all about who was on what side. The Biden, the staff is very loyal. They don't leak to reporters, and they just got these orders from the five people around Biden at the very top of the mountain. So, uh, and then they follow those orders like, you know, 100%, uh, like loyal soldiers. So, they're, but they don't know when the about face is coming. It's like a volcano. It suddenly the volcano blows its top and boom, the refugee cap is, is, stays the same or boom, masks are removed. And so one day it's going to go boom. Mayorkas is out as DHS secretary and Biden has cracked down on the border. Now it may be a bullshit crackdown and maybe a serious crackdown, but I'm predicting that that's going to happen. Um, don't you think his his uh, coalition makes it kind of hard to do a 180 on immigration? Uh, it makes it hard, but, you know, it's uh, it's uh, uh, he, he's not going to do it now. Maybe when there's really sensitive legislation up uh, before the Congress, but maybe once that's over, uh, you know, he he reads the polls and if the polls are killing him, I think he's going to change. The polls are um, killing him, and 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 and, and are there the polls are moderate, killing him? Oh, you mean are, on immigration? Yeah, and the moderates are there are moderate Democrats, including Democrats from the border states who are Hispanic, like Cuellar, who are saying you're crazy. You have to change course. So it's it, it he can't let the he can't let La Raza and Lulac or whoever else is involved uh, dictate immigration policy. They don't re- represent the majority of the party. By the way, who who are the five people around Biden at the top of the mountain who send down the thunderbolt? God, she listed them, or somebody listed them. Is uh, Jill is Jill one of them? She must be one of the deciders. She's got to be think, a very important figure, right? But I don't think she's one of them. I think the one of them is Michael Donilon, Bruce Reed, uh, Ricketti, Bruce Reed. Uh, Ron we know Flame. him. We could have influence. Uh, go ahead, try. No, he. he, he, he <laughs> I, I don't he's, know him very well. He's a great guy, but I don't have any. I unfortunately, I I don't have contact with him. Not that he listened to me anyway. But um, do you think uh, Jill will ever run for office? Jill, no. Yeah. No. You, don't, it, you think, it, don't you think? Don't you think she's more appealing than Kamala? Sure, but let's do it. In part because she's she's not wildly <laughs> ambitious like Kamala. Uh, the, uh, I don't know. I, I, could, I could see a Lurleen Wallace type deal. That's what I'm saying. Okay, well, that, that, that may be true. That's not crazy. Nice. Let's it, start that's the rumor. Good, Let's that's start a good the rumor. rumor to start. Okay. Uh, she just doesn't seem that political a person. No, it's but like, that would be the appeal. It'd be like Nancy Reagan running for would, office. I guess that be... might happen. That might happen these days. Oh, but uh, she's much so, more appealing than Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan always seemed like a conniving, you know. Svengali wife. Uh, Jill Biden doesn't? Not, I'm not saying she's not, but I'm saying she doesn't have the image to the extent that Nancy Reagan I did. was thinking that they both have the image when, they're, when their husband is stuttering at a press conference, they, whisper, they finish the sentence for him. So hmm. Nancy Reagan famously did that when she said, doing all we can, dear. 
And Reagan said, we're doing all we can. <laughs> and, like, and that happens at Biden conferences, too. Now, Reagan, we now know, was in significant cognitive decline for the last, what, year, two years? What? Not that significant. I mean, we, we, oh, we think that's on. true. But the key thing about Reagan, which stunned me when I found out, is that his farewell letter, uh-huh. where he says, basically, I have... I'm, I've seen all you'll never hear from me again. Okay, but it's a very well written letter. I didn't know about that. Who did he write that to? Oh, oh you mean after uh, after, after the presidency? After, yeah, 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 after his presidency, he wrote a farewell letter. Okay, yeah. He there are editing marks in his own hand. Okay, he was seen. He was non line enough to edit that letter himself. So uh, I'm not sure editing. There's a is- limit. There's a limit to how senile he. I'm was. in cognitive decline, and I still edit. It's you can do it. You still put out a, a Substack and you're in cognitive decline. I mean, you're not kidding. Too many. That's the that's the study thing. Although I noticed that your the bylines have been muddled. It's like the Bob Wright team is putting it out. So what does that mean, Bob? Is you're just a figure? No, no, no. The, the Monday no, team. The Monday newsletter is always mine. The Friday newsletter has long been a collaboration between me and Apocalypse Aversion intern Connor Eccles. Okay. The the foreign policy one. Okay, I'll 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 stick to the narrative. Uh, and for anyway, that matter, that, the ones that, in between when there are ones in between, uh, our Bob our Bob production. Anyway, I, I, so I I think this I, the the idea we have that Biden is like just re- do, running with the progressive agenda will have changed by six months from now, and we'll see Biden uh, the volcano blowing its top and. Do, and, you know, doing an about face, uh, and that will be popular with the voters because about I, faces are, are always popular with the voters because they tell the voters you're in charge. Yeah, but you always predict your fears that your fears will be realized. And one question from for, this for isn't me, my fear. This is my wish that Biden wish would that, do a 180 on immigration. That he'll yes, that he'll. I thought start, it was your he'll, fear he'll because to control the border. I thought it was your fear because then he would do just enough of it to preempt a true Trumpist. Well, that's what he's going to try to do. But I, I, we have a we have a million people a year coming in the border to lower wages for unskilled Americans. I would like that to stop. If Biden can stop that, that's a good thing. If he stops it because he thinks that that not stopping is getting in the way of amnesty, which it is, then let him think that. Then we'll have a fight about amnesty after he stopped it. So we did wind true, up by talking the way, about by the way that the talks about amnesty broke down because of the border. We did wind up talking about immigration in spite of my best efforts. When did that happen? When exactly did that happen? I actually realized when it was happening, but I didn't tell you. Huh. Tell me next if, time. If, will if you give you, me a heads you, up next time? If you rewatch the video, you will see the, I'll see instant, when the, wor- the instant it happens, yes. Damn. Um, so... Speaking of... Uh, but, but as long as you mention my newsletter, today we have a piece about Israel and why everyone should start saying the phrase one-state solution, whether or not a one-state solution is possible. Could you explain that? Well, it's just a healthy influence on the, on the discourse. If, it, if, if the fear of a one-state solution uh, shakes Israelis into thinking outside the box a little, uh, that would be a good thing. But also, I mean, realistically, I mean, this is my question is, what is Israel's long term plan? This this, you know, these wars, the last one was only seven years ago. Uh, They killed 
2,000 Palestinians in Gaza out of a population of 2 million, the idea was what has to be hugely disproportionate to restore deterrence. Well, deterrence didn't last that long. Are you going to, are you going to kill that many again this time? And like, you know, so what is the long-term plan? It would be great if you just solved, I'm not saying it's an easy problem by any means to solve the, the Palestinian problem, but I just don't think any, almost anyone in Israel has a plan. And, are, and are the, there, go ahead. I was just going to say, where, where they are headed, you know, with all, all the ongoing settlements in the West Bank is, it seems to me, to one of two destinations. Either it is a de facto one state that is pretty much apartheid since the Palestinians in the West Bank can't vote and they are ruled by Israelis and the settlements just seem to to be leading, you know, uh, likely to lead to annexation or there's there's some kind of uh, ethnic cleansing, some kind of coerced migration to Jordan of the Palestinians. And I I would just like to hear somebody say, well, what, what what is the third alternative? Since both those both those alternatives are unappealing, why do you want people to talk about a one state solution with two unappealing well, outcomes? Well, the one th- there are two hopes. One is, uh, in a way, three hopes. One is it might get the Israelis uh, to think about a more generous two state offer, which granted would only raise the chances of a two-state solution from like one half of 1% to 1.5%. I think that's almost a lost cause. But still, you know, I feel desperate enough to to want to explore that possibility. The second thing is, it's not impossible that a one-state solution could actually work. There are a lot of people who think, you know, are thinking about, you know, binational federations and things uh, that could work. But third, I would just like to hear... Israeli leaders tell us what do they ex- what are they hoping will be the situation in 20 30 years. Yeah. At some point a binational federation slides into two states, though. No? I mean there's a spectrum, well, right? Yeah, but um but, yeah, I mean you can imagine, I mean the more but, autonomous the the Palestinian here, you know, here's uh, here's here's a question I thought a lot about. If that asshole hadn't shot Rabin was a two-state solution possible, and would history have been changed? Uh, I don't know. Um, I just don't really know. But that is what ushered in, you know, in a way, the Netanyahu era. I mean, uh, Netanyahu, you know, Sharon Netanyahu. Um, seems, seems to me it's the most effective act by an individual of my lifetime. I mean, that particular guy who was a settler, who was felt sufficiently threatened by Rabin's peace initiative, apparently to think that uh, it could lead to a two-state solution. Um, I really don't know. I I, I, I don't know. Assassinations uh, really seem to work. That's very annoying, but it seems to be true. Uh, the, the Kennedy I, assassination had a big impact, too. Yeah, but what, what would you say the impact was? I mean, it got a lot of liberal legislation passed. Uh, Charlie and, Peter, well, there's that, and Charlie Peters claims that he would have pulled out of Vietnam. Eh, all the Kennedy defenders do. I, I don't. I don't. Charlie's, I not, Charlie's not such a Kennedy defender. Eh, it, it, it's far from clear to me. It, it was. I mean, was, he is on that issue, but he's not. You know, pulling out general. was a hard thing to do. Kennedy had run as a hawk. I don't know. Um, he, but, and he was not in a very secure political position, but still, I'm always going with Charlie, as you know. I'm a. If you can ask Jack Schaefer, I'm a Mooney. 
You're Charlie. I'm a Charlie Booney. I'm a Charlie Booney. So Mickey Schaefer calls him the Bogwan. I like Charlie. So do I. But go ahead. He has he has an important. You know, Washington Monthly is doing well at that with with Paul Glasser at the helm. Good. And that, of course, is his Charlie uh, creation. The um. So you saw that uh, you know back to. You know, one of our projects here is to come up with the grand unified uh, Bill Gates, Matt Gates conspiracy theory. Okay. You, you know, because, you know, you're on board with that, right? I love grand conspiracy theories of all sorts, but uh, anyway, I don't, it's just I, don't, the, I don't see how we made progress against that this week, toward that this well, week. Well, Matt Gates is uh, uh, wingman. What is it, Joel uh, Greenberg? Goldberg, Goldberg, I think Greenberg, Greenberg, something like that. Greenberg, I think. Um, One of those names. He he ple- he he pleaded guilty or pled guilty, uh, or whatever, which means apparently he's gonna he's gonna rat well, on. Well, it looks like Gates. Gates is in trouble. But what is yeah, yeah. that? What just is that a, just an Gates. interesting development. The other the other the other the other couple of developments are. Uh, there's a huge pro Bill Gates backlash, led by Kara Swisher, apparently of Recode. That well, th- th- this is all innuendo and guilt by proximity. That says that Bill Gates screwed underage women, and I haven't charged that. But he definitely associated with Epstein. And the the question when you associate with Epstein is is one of the questions is what do you do with all these beautiful women who are running around? Uh, so. Um, it's of the questions at least raised, but he, I think Gates has benefited from a bit of a backlash, uh, this past week. And, um, there's a huge article by, in Politico by Tara Palmieri, which I haven't completely read about, uh, you know, Gates, Gates's empire under Jelaine was too big for, Jelaine, uh, for Maxwell to run herself. So she had to have a second level of sort of women Wait, who were like, who's, who's empire under Jelaine? You mean Epstein's, Epstein's okay. Epstein's. She had a second uh, tier of sort of women lieutenant enforcers who who brought in these women, and it was a huge pyramid. And uh, I guess that means some of those women are applying for victims' compensation, but I guess it also means that some of them might flip uh, in a way that would not be pleasant for... There are a lot of... If you want to silence people, there's a whole lot of people you have to silence. Although I, I doubt... That, I, I think Jelaine has photographs and they don't. I am more inclined than ever, though, to doubt your theory that, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, your theory is that the Gates, the timing of the Bill Gates divorce is related to the Jelaine thing in the sense that, what? What's your theory? They both wanted to get far away when the bomb went off, especially the wife. Both Melinda so and if Bill. The wife, if, 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 if Jelaine implicates Bill, Melinda would just as soon have already divorced him for a year. See, I think that's not true. You're, you are invoking as evidence the fact that apparently there are these stories uh, that are apparently result from Melinda leaks. We surmise about how Melinda had been working toward a divorce for a couple of years and a big moment for her was was when she understood Bill's uh, relationship to Jeffrey Epstein and so on. I take that to be just her uh, wanting to create the idea that, hey, she's the one who left him, he's not the one who left her, A, and B, I think she's just really pissed. It's a scorched earth policy. She's trying to taint him by association with Epstein. And That's you, my interpretation. It's, it's certainly plausible. So you're, but you're serious. It's a he, 
who dumped who and she he dumped her but she's saying that she dumped him or 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 was ambiguous well he's not saying anything but people tend to assume that when when male billionaires get a divorce it's because they found somebody 20 years younger right but um uh, and there was a name floated around that i didn't it could have been a I didn't name see any good data on this. No, I, 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 I did I click either. on um, a couple of links, uh, and I'm not proud of it, but they didn't what is lead anywhere. What is your evidence for for your theory? It's just a more parsimonious theory. I mean, theories that, that like put a lot of stock in the timing of two seemingly unconnected events. In this case, the fact that Jelaine's whatever may come out soon and the fact that there was this divorce. To me, that's a more complex theory than just a straightforward, hey – She's pissed, you know. She's she, and 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 she's torching him. Your theory is more complex. My theory is the no. timing at the same time they have to do with each other. Your theory is no, they don't have to do with have to do with each other. There's a, a, a disinformation campaign by one party to pretend that they have to do. with So you each think other. whenever two things happen at the same time, the most compelling theory is that they are related. So I like just, right now, I, everything else happening in the it's world certainly, it's certainly is the related most parsim- to our podcast that you we're said taking. the word you said the word parsimonious. It's the most the most parsimonious theory is that when two things happen in proximity that they are related. Well, I would I would defend the word parsimonious and parsimonious and compelling are in you know the methodology of science the same thing. The the more parsimonious theory is the more compelling, by definition, if they explain equal amounts of data. By your definition, well, um, no, by Occam himself. Well, then Sir, I claim it. Then Sir I claim Occam it. to you. Okay, then I claim. Working on that. Even even Siri is with me on this. Did she just say? What Siri did she just is say? talking back to me. It's two against one here. Yeah. It's notifying me that Robert Wright's non-zero newsletter is is up. It's pretty great. Thanks for that. That's yeah. that's where you'll find that. Um, uh, the so, um, uh, thank you for interrupting me, Siri, uh, for that parsimonious news. Um, Was that? Did she really interrupt to say that? No. I can't tell. She interrupted no. me for some reason. I, no, I think that I, was just a notification, an email notification, and she. No, she was, I think I, I think when I said parsimonious, yep, that brought her to life. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, so. I, I think I, I, you, I, your theory may be plausible, but, but I deny that it's more compelling. It's, it's, it's a good theory. Thank you. But um, the, uh, you know, actually, they could both be true, couldn't they? I just want to languish. I want to rel- I want to revel in that moment where you said that I'm right. I didn't say you're right. I said it's a good theory. Uh, so what else is going on? You know, Infl- it's quite possibly wrong. Inflation is rearing its head. But you, you haven't you haven't connected Gates and Gates. You, you want a connection? That was kind of a joke. But I'm yeah. open to possible connections. I mean, you know, because like I'm 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 thinking like maybe like they thought they could fool us by spelling Gates two different ways, Mickey. I'm, but we're we're smarter than that, right? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm looking for the role of right wing Charles Johnson. Um, he's, he's he's the guy who exposed your friend Menendez. He did uh, not enough, apparently. Menendez well, didn't but he quite wind up rolling. in prison, unfortunately. He got the ball rolling, and um, Gates brought him to the uh, to the floor of Congress during one State of the Union speech. Matt Gates. So when he's 
in the lurking in the background. Who knows what's going to leak into the press? That's all I'm saying. So wait, as long as we got conspiracy on the brain, Mickey, and maybe we yeah. can save this for the parrot room. Do you realize how long we've been talking? It's it's alarming. Guess. An hour and 10 minutes. No, come on. You always do that. See, you always. It always seems like an hour and 10 know, minutes. You know, you always know, like if I'm if I'm trying to impress you with how low it something is, you go even lower. If I'm, it, it couldn't possibly be as long as the baton twirling scene in A Face in the Crowd, which I just sat through. In an attempt to make it to the end no of the movie, which we said, which we said, which we said we would talk about in the paragraph. We will because I have made it that far as well, but not, oh, okay. but not, but I haven't made it to the end of the movie. And we're in the same boat. So I think we Good. should talk about it in talk. the parrot room. We can talk, yes. And okay. then continue the discussion the following week after we've watched the whole thing. In the meanwhile, parroteers can watch the movie should they choose. It's a plan. It's like a club. It it's was, like a movie watching club. But but back to conspiracies. Like, if you notice, you know, the, the, the stuff about how originally I think it was in the Cuban embassy, something, you know, these people had weird symptoms where the Russians sending microwaves through the walls. Right. Like, you saw this has gotten a revival of publicity. Right. But it hasn't He's, been debunked. Well, look, it just seems like bullshit. I mean, OK, so here's the New York Times story from this week. Mysterious episodes that caused brain injuries in spies, diplomats, soldiers, and other U.S. personnel overseas starting five years ago now number more than 130 people, far more than previously known, according to current and former officials. Okay, now I want to read you this thing from the Times piece. And in one case in 2019 that has not previously been reported, a military officer serving overseas... First of all, I would note, there are a lot of military personnel serving overseas. If the database includes all military over, serving overseas and, and, and people are starting to think, wait, are there weird microwaves? I'll bet you're going to get a non-trivial number of reports of like, I felt weird on day X. Anyway, here it is. And in one case in 2019 that has not previously been reported, a military officer serving overseas pulled his vehicle into an intersection, then was overcome by nausea and headaches... According to four current and former officials briefed on the events. So, Mickey, this isn't just this guy saying it. It's the four people he told the story to who are saying it. Okay, so I want to emphasize that. According to four current and former officials briefed on the events. Okay, so he's in the intersection, overcome by nausea and headaches. His two-year-old son, sitting in the back seat, began crying. Mickey, we've got a two-year-old who's crying. This is like... I, I just don't have another explanation of the microwaves. Okay. His two-year-old son sitting in the backseat began crying. After the officer pulled away from the intersection, his nausea stopped and the child stopped crying. Mickey, we have a two-year-old who not only started crying. It's like crying, a science fiction he movie, Bob. He stopped crying. It's like a science fiction movie. Now – um, there must be something here I haven't seen because they convinced three <laughs> New York Times staffers to join in a byline about this. And this was after the uh, a Politico piece revived it. And so you'd think like the New York Times, they're usually not that eager to follow another publication, right? So you'd think well, like... Well, but if they, if they think Politico is on the case, they're going to say we have to get ours out quickly or else they're going to beat us. Well, it's great clickbait. But I mean... <sighs> It's the Biden administration, Bob. You want a boring administration? Second-tier stories are going to bubble to the top. Also, listen to this. I'm going to quote – I'm going to say one more thing. Here I'm reading from it. 
The initial publicly confirmed cases were concentrated in China and Cuba and numbered about 60. The new total adds cases from Europe and elsewhere in Asia. So again, any American basically anywhere in the world has a headache. <laughs> and the time well, and there there are now 130 such people, Mickey. I thought there were I thought that there actually were some brain changes on scans and stuff like that. I don't know. That maybe they uh, I'm willing to stand corrected. Okay, but that was a good rap. Thank you. I'm exhausted. Um uh okay. You know, I, I I can get very passionate about these things, Mickey, but it really takes it out of me. You're known for that. Uh what um how long have we been talking now? About an hour. Okay, because I, I had one more point on my thing, but I can talk about it in the paired room. Your uh, call. You, maybe you could tease about, it. It's about the infrastructure deal. It's not real clickbait. Maybe you should not go a, ahead and, not, and, and get rid of that one. <laughs> go ahead and do the whole thing. Well, they, they, they're, 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 there are all these reports that uh, Biden, having proposed a $2 million hard infrastructure bill and also a $2 trillion hard infrastructure bill and a $2 trillion soft welfare bill uh, is going to compromise, is receptive to compromise on an $800,000, $800 billion uh, hard infrastructure bill that the Republicans would sign on to. And then, so that would take care of that. They wouldn't have to uh, do that either through reconciliation or getting rid of the filibuster. And then they would try to pass the rest of their stuff through reconciliation, Okay. And that, and, and then there's a question of who does that benefit? Why, why, why would it benefit Biden? And if it benefits Biden, why would the Republicans go along with it? Uh, I wondered and, that when I heard and, him set, laying and, out this strategy. Like, does he want to tell the Republicans that he's going to do everything else anyway? But well, they they're conceding it. They're saying, well, reconciliation is legitimate. So either Republicans know he doesn't have the votes in reconciliation, or they think, well, the appealing things will be passed in this. By bipartisan bill, and that leaves only the unappealing things uh, to for the Democrats, like the revival of welfare, to be passed in the reconciliation bill. And surely, Mansion and Cinema and a bunch of moderate Democrats will rebel against that when they don't even have the the good the goodies uh, when when the goodies aren't even at stake. Uh, it, it seems like they're both engaging in wishful thinking strategy, but one of them has to be wrong. And uh, I think that uh, I think one of them has to be wrong. And and the pressure on Mansion when if and Cinema if they block changing the filibuster to actually okay these reconciliation bills is going to be huge. Uh, so there'll be some negotiating, and the question is how much do they negotiate? And I think Republicans may be making a big mistake, but maybe I am. What is what is Biden's motivation to get the Republicans to co-sign? On a certain amount of this stuff. Well, that's a very good point. Biden's Biden's agenda here is not the same as the Democrats. If we think Biden is a is a, a politician who wants to have the successful presidency and it's been hijacked by progressives, Biden will do what's necessary for a successful presidency, which and they think a bipartisan infrastructure bill helps him look good and helps him get reelected, even if it doesn't produce all these other Democratic things. Uh, but that's for the Democrats to worry about, not for Biden to worry about. Biden is acclaimed as a successful president and the, and the progressives bitch. Uh, if you think Biden is a really committed ideologue, it's not in his interest because he really wants to get the child tax credit and the, uh, you know, the daycare credit and the, uh, 
the uh, the deal for uh, spending a lot of money on formal uh, in-home care of seniors that that the people who work for this one union can get. Then he really, if he really cares about all that stuff, then then he wants to pass the whole enchilada through reconciliation. If he just wants to go along with the progressives as much as he can, but make himself look good with a big infrastructure bill, hey, go, you know, sell the progressives down the river. Okay. Uh, I'm a I'll, big I'm a big I'll, fan of selling the progressives down the river, by the way. I, I know you are. Uh, on that unless, issue. Unless they not, flip on immigration. Not on health care. Not on health care. Um, he's, already, he's already sold them down the river on health care. How long will this take to play remember out? The, remember the public option, Bob? You don't hear that them talk about that anymore. No, no. He definitely uh, – he is not impressing us on but, the health care front. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. How long do what? How long will this whole thing take to play out? Like when will we be done with infrastructure land? And, and I mean the whole thing, the whole – like is this – are whole, we talking many months? Through – I think we're talking to, through to early next year, yeah. Oh, God. I mean, we what else is to it, talk about it every What week, else is there to do? And then the campaign takes hold and it becomes harder to pass things. But uh, sometimes things pass right before an election, too. Look at welfare reform. Am I allowed to bring that up? Welfare? I think it's mandatory. And congratulations on getting that done. It's yeah. done now. Um, it's about to be undone. Did I, did I mention that? Uh, welfare you know, reform? This, <laughs> I think you did. This, I think this, you did. There's this provision in the... Two trillion dollar welfare part that would undo welfare reform. You mean the As, child, the child tax credit? Yes, the refundable child tax credit. If it wasn't refundable, it wouldn't be a problem. Which would not require you to get a job in order to qualify. It's yes, which it's, is why it would undo it's, welfare. It's free money for parents who don't work. Okay, just want to make sure. Want to make sure we spelled that out. Um, so I guess we are now heading into the parrot room. And if people want to go to patreon.com slash parrot room, they can find a way to enter the parrot room. Or if they just want to support first class conversation, which, Mickey, I think you would agree. Well, no, you wouldn't agree this has been a first class conversation. But in the parrot room, we will raise this conversation. It's been okay. For a while there was looking like the transcript. The transcript of this conversation would be Bob talks for a paragraph. Bob talks for a paragraph. Mickey says a line. Bob talks for a paragraph. Well, that's because you didn't study up on the Israel question because you don't care. The uh, that that's known as the Charlie Rose transcript. <laughs> Charlie Rose, Charlie Rose, Charlie Rose. Guest, Charlie Rose, Charlie Rose, Charlie Rose. Um, I would say that that is a not the analysis. Anyway, I got some I got some paragraphs in, so I'm fine. Okay, we'll let you they have more just, of them. You know what they were, Bob? They, they were, were parsimonious. Thank you, and folks, there's more of that bird in the parrot room. Also. Uh, well, wait, we should talk about what we're going to talk about. And my sexual, second visual gag is going to be deployed in the Oh, oh that's right. Another Mickey visual gag. It's not the lustrous hair. He doesn't do reruns. It's something even better. Um, I want to um, talk I about... I wouldn't say sleep. that. What? Don't, I would not say it. it's even better. But go ahead. What are you saying? Okay. Under promise, over deliver. What Mickey's going to do won't be good at all. There you go. Um, things I want to talk about in the parrot room... Have you been listening to Slight Slow Burn podcast? No, I can't bring myself to do it. Uh, well, wait, you understand that the thing they taped with us is just bonus content. We're not in the real, uh, like that whole roundtable conversation they taped with us and the other old-time Slightsters. The, the, so Slight Slow Burn is about to run up to the Iraq War. Um, right. That whole conversation is just bonus content for Slate Plus members, and I don't think we're going to be in the other thing at all. So you can relax. Fine. 
I my accept. Life, my whole life is bonus content. These days. Uh, and speaking of which, in the Parrot Room, I want to talk about an area where I fear, I'm starting to think the Slow Burn podcast is generally good, but there's one thing I think they chickened out on. I want to talk about that. Okay. Um, Attacking I wanna, Jeffrey Goldberg. I No plot spoilers. Um, <laughs> we are going to talk about the movie The Face in the Crowd. Uh, I, you know, Mickey, you pride yourself on your mastery of pop culture and belittle my own conversancy in pop culture. Right. But I'm going to ask you a trivia question in the parrot room that's related to Bob Dylan, and I'm pretty sure you're going to be stumped. Really? I'm, I'm just, I'm, it's possible. Have you been talking to Sean Wilentz there in Princeton? No, does he know Bob? I think he's Bob Dylan's official historian. He says some, I know I know Bob has, Dylan's uh, literary executor. He has and it's some, not Sean Wilentz. Sean has some official role, I think, in curating. Oh wait, no, I the don't Bob either. Story. I don't either. Never mind. <laughs> but I asked I asked I asked him my key Bob Dylan question and he didn't answer. He's just playing hard to get. I'll tell you what my key Bob Dylan question was in the paradigm. Oh man. How about that? So much, so much bonus okay. content. Oh, maybe talk about the, uh, on cancel culture, uh, maybe, uh, uh, this base camp thing. Well, it's related. And then, uh, there was an Apple cancellation. Um, boy, a cancellation. My God. That never happens. We don't have to talk about that. Stop the press. But the, the base camp thing is generally interesting in the context of cancel culture. Good. I didn't workers. follow the base camp thing, so. It's, I know people say it's important. I'm not hugely conversant. So, people could... Compare to me, you're an educated man. Is that a line from a famous something? Bananas, see? Oh. You, uh, you're exactly what I say. If it's what you say... <laughs> I love it. Um, people could smash the like button. They could rate and review the right show. And what what else? I mean, this is just like a an uncontrollable spasm of self promotion. Stop me, Mickey. We were. Can we talk about whether we should have ads on the show? Here or in the parrot room? Anywhere. In the parrot room. We should talk about it in the parrot room. Well, I okay. throw it out there. I mean, this should is... we tell the whole story in the parrot room about no, about the... how we were approached by like a major no the, the, phenomenon. It... We were this is, this is where the, this is where the ad would go. This is where you would sell beats, folks. Well, what's hilarious? I mean, let's go ahead and say what's hilarious about a face in the crowd is, you know, when we talked about doing ads, we talked about the fact that well, some podcasters just do them ironically. You know, they're kind of half subverting the product because they're cool, and we also talked about the fact that like about you know. Over the last few years, about 24% of podcast commercials have been mattress commercials, Casper mattress commercials. Anyway, Face in the Crowd has a subversive mattress commercial. I think you pointed right. this out. Did you already point this right. out? You pointed right. it out. Not not here. I pointed it out to you. To me but, personally, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah but um, he, makes, he makes fun of the mattress company, but yet their sales increase anyway. But since you pointed out, I've seen that part of the movie. Okay. So we are – is that it? We're going to go into uh, – yeah. Parrotland. Okay. Okay. We will uh we will see you there. See you there. Oh boy. <laughs>